Kia ora everyone, this is Anderson's Odyssey. I'm Jacob Anderson and my guest today is Finn Ross, a student and entrepreneur. Finn, you've done a lot of different things in a lot of different fields, but I guess I'm quite keen to talk to you about um, how that journey started a few years ago and then some of the other uh, new ideas and new projects that you've been working on. So what, what sort of stemmed this um, this entrepreneurial spirit or trying to solve environmental issues with uh, with business models and, and um, entrepreneurial ideas. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, th thanks very much for having me, Jacob. Um, yeah, I can, I can probably start it with sort of the first project, which was um, Let, Let Them Fish at high school. That's where it sort of all, all started for me. So, so me and my good mate Max um, came up with this model f through the Young Enterprise Scheme, which was Let Them Fish, where we were distributing secondhand fishing gear. Um, we, yeah, so we were uh, sending secondhand uh, fishing gear from New Zealand up to impoverished communities in, in, in Fiji and Tonga, um, and and sort of working on sustainable fisheries there um, through through some existing institutions in, in Fiji and Tonga through church groups and and um, and, 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 and NGOs up there. Um, so yes, started there, um, and then went, went over to the states for for university. Um, we studied in America for a year, and then South Africa for a semester doing wildlife management. Um, and then yeah, end, ended up coming back to New Zealand and Canterbury. And I guess yeah, my sort of passion is is around that sort of intersection um, and sort of an environmental opportunity through 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 commerce um, and sort of corporate sustainability. So. Um, yeah, I guess that sort of inspired me to con continue that journey um, in, in, in entrepreneurship, um, and that's yeah. That, I guess that's led me to to now Bomb Butcher um, and, and work on the station and and, and my new startup, the, the Seaweed Solution. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so Bomb Butcher, this new um, alcoholic kombucha. Unfortunately, we can't be meeting in real life um, with a few cans, but you guys want to. It's offsetting 200 times carbon offsetting this product, isn't it? How are there any other um, food or, or beverage companies that are doing that sort of um, offsetting initiative that you know of? I'm not sure about food and beverage companies. There's a few that are climate positive, so they're they're sort of just offsetting by 100% and then being overly conservative and just offsetting a bit more. Um, there, there are a few other 200% climate positive companies in in New Zealand. Um, but I'm not sure about food and beverage. Yeah, so I mean, our our footprint's pretty pretty minimal. Um, so it, it's more of a I, I guess more of a sort of statement thing for us. You know, we're saying, well, you know, New Zealand's got this goal of being carbon neutral by 2050. We think that needs to you know ha happen a bit sooner. Um, and I guess businesses like us that are in a position to do it, it's, it's actually the administration of it and offsetting's actually not as expensive as as you'd think. Um, and, 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 you know, in that goal of 2050 of, you know, be, being net zero, we're, we're actually going to need a lot more than that. Um, we're going to need to go climate positive because we've got, you know, gigatons of carbon that we've got to sequester from, from the last few years of, of, um, commercial activity. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize for a lot of companies, it's not that expensive to offset, um, especially the small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, we're the same at Blake. Um, we offset uh, all of our flights and activities, and it's, it's pretty small compared to um, what people might think. They get this really expensive tax kind of slapped on the end of their, um, 
their financial year. And so is, why did, did you just choose 200 times because you thought that that was a number that um, seemed like a, a good statement that you guys could do that was feasible or, or what was the sort of the rationale behind that? I guess it was yeah a bit of an bit of an arbitrary number, but it's more because that's you know that's twice our emissions. I think that's a pretty good good place to start. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it's a bit of a you know you know trying to sort of be a bit of a leader, saying hang on, you know, well we can get to two hundred percent. What businesses can go further? You know, if, if some people then decide to go do five hundred percent offsets, well that's that's awesome. Um, so how can we sort of you know, I guess create a bit of friendly competition on who can, you know, offset the most. But I, I guess it's also, you know, with, with these offsets, it's mindful not to get complacent that you can just, um, you know, go business as usual and, and, and offset your, all your emissions because it's not costing much or you don't have a heap of emissions. It's, you know, pretty important that to start with, you need to re- reduce your emissions. Um, so, so yeah, work, working that in as, as, as well. And did, that, did it start, were you guys just, Brewing kombucha at your flat. How did it kind of all? St- where did the idea stem from? Yeah, it was. We were sort of just mucking around. Um, is it me, me and my three flatmates mi- mixing up a few things as as you do? Um, and then had this sort of idea. So it's it's pretty big in Australia and the states, but there's not really any in New Zealand, or, or there wasn't a year ago. Um, and there was, or the, the the one or two brands that are out there are um, really really high end. Um, and a lot of a lot of students were mixing, you know, kombucha and vodka and things. So we thought we'd thought we'd just give it give it a go. I guess um, thought there was a gap gap in the market and, and and wanted to have a bit of a project. So yeah, cool. And I guess do, have have all of the emissions that you guys have been um, offsetting. Is that all all of that work been done on the station, or have you guys been doing it somewhere else, or what what's the, yeah, so we're doing it all through Ecos. Um, I'm not not sure if you're familiar with them. They're a, um, they're they're an off, offsetting service. Um, they've they've been really cool, you know, great to deal with. Um, really, really cool company. Um, but yeah, they're they're all their credits are native New Zealand trees that are you know also have biodiversity and water quality gains as well. So um, uh, yeah, and we've been and retrospective funding as well. So our, our emission statement says that we've offset for this this year but we're going to try offset from last year as well so i think a few companies are climate positive or by 200 percent, but i'm not sure if any have been climate positive by 200 percent right from the founding of the company um which which is quite cool yeah mm. but it's 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 just our it's just our business emissions so there's a bit of sort of discrepancy around what we're you know what we're actually offsetting we we can't offset the, you know, the tea, we buy tea leaves from um, overseas, so we can't offset those or the can can production. So we're offsetting just us as a business, what we're directly responsible for. Yeah, I think that's, and I mean, that's one of the big challenges for a lot of these companies, isn't it? How they can track their whole supply chain from the start yep. and which parts of that they can, then they can directly measure and offset or not. Um, mm-hmm. which is an ongoing challenge, I think, for a lot of these companies. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think a really important thing for, for, for companies to realise is, you know, full transparency right, right, back, to the, right back to the start, um, which is what, what we're sort of doing here at, at the station. I guess at the other end, we're right, we're right at the start um, and, and our wool that we produce here is, um, you know, we're the first place it comes from, but it goes through a lot of different places before it ends up as a, you know, as, as a sweater um, or, or socks. So, 
um, yeah, we, I guess we're at the other end of that that supply chain. You know, um, working with a few companies to try, you know, have ultimate traceability and you know the full full um, carbon budget right through the supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and I guess just for the people listening, so they know they may not have heard of Lake Harbour Station and and the goals that you guys have. Um, what uh, I guess do you want do you want to give a bit of a kind of an overview of the kind of the, yeah. the big goals of the station and then we can kind of get into some of the practices and things that you guys are working on yeah cool yeah so that, that's, that's where i'm lucky enough to be calling from at the moment like like how station in um otago we're well, half half an hour out of wanaka um sheep and beef station got um six thousand merino sheep so fine fine wool um and a few hundred angus cattle um and yeah pretty we're pretty keen on sort of being at the i guess the, the front of some some technology and also sort of environmental performance on on farm um so yeah tr- trying to sort of em- embrace some in- innovations there which, which i can i guess speak to briefly um but yeah some of the environmental goals we've got one, one is that the the big one is ultimately be the first farm in the in the world or, or new zealand or, or the world to be 10 times carbon positive on farm so offset all our emissions on farm by 10 times on the farm um, so, so that's the big one, but then yeah, also um, as, as part of that, planting ten thousand trees a year for ten years, um, and then also water quality. We've got lots of water quality projects as well, and um, which is, I guess, yeah, I, I, I think the water quality debate in New Zealand, particularly on sheep and beef properties, and um, and sheep and beef properties occupy forty percent of New Zealand land. So there's a huge opportunity there for sheep and beef properties i think to have a cohesive plan and be a bit more integrated into new zealand's carbon and, and, and biodiversity goals because it's, a, it's a such a huge area of land that i think is doesn't really have a cohesive management strategy at the moment um but yeah i, I think the fr- the freshwater debate sort of for, from what i've seen is sort of potentially drowned out a bit of the importance of biodiversity um uh importance and also carbon capture potential on you know, on, on a lot of farms. So I guess we're trying to stress that the biodiversity value we've got here, we've got um, five charismatic critically endangered species that we're using to symbolize our biodiversity here. Um, you know, we've got, uh, I've got 350 species on our species list and we're constantly adding to that. So using them as sort of a arc for those other species. Um, and yes, yeah, so I've got big, tra- big trapping programs to protect, protect the grand, grand skink, which is, um, which, which is the main one. We've got the second most endangered fish in New Zealand, uh, the Clutha flathead galaxid here. Um, and um, yeah, but biodiversity. So got th- those projects, 10,000 trees, 10 times carbon positive, um, are the main ones. And then, then, then a few other smaller and, projects. And, so. and this is, you're, you're kind of what about two years into the goal at the moment yeah, well, only, only a year actually a, a year, year as of may may 1st so well we were on the farm but um we've only been running the farming operation for a year um, and so what's and how long is the the kind of the plan or what's the sort of the long term long term plan to try and get to that end goal or that um the end point mm. to achieve all of those objectives yeah, so with the 10,000 trees a year, that's, that was going, we, we did 10,000 last year, we were on the way to doing 10,000 this year, um, but things have, things have stalled, we can't plant now in autumn, um, uh, obviously, um, which is un- unfortunate, but yeah, the, the carbon goal, um, 
So it's really easily, easy for farmers to calculate their emissions. Um, all you've got to do is put in your you know, animals to slaughter or, or stock numbers um, and your fuel usage, contractors, electricity, waste, really, really easy things. Any farmer can go do it um, pr pretty easily. Um, where, where it's hard is the full sequestration of your of your farm, and that's what we're trying to we're working on at, at the moment. So it's you can you can evaluate the ETS credits on on your property, which is the New Zealand Emissions Trading Scheme um, carbon market in New Zealand. It's farmers can go do that themselves, um, go online and uh, take photos and register carbon credits. Um, but that's only um, only certain vegetation meets those requirements. It's got to be consistent, one hectare, 30 metre wide. 30% of the trees have to be more than five metres. Um, so I guess a, a consistent forest, um, which is only a, a really a fraction of the carbon that's being sequestered on farms that farmers can actually use for their budget. Um, and at the moment, if, if farmers are actually registering those credits, they're better off to sell them rather than use them, use them this, themselves. Um, or, or themselves. So... Yeah, the, I guess the the things we're trying to look at now are like soil carbon, tussock carbon, um, sh you know, sh shrubland, um, woodlots, all, all those sorts of things. Trying to in integrate them into our in, into our carbon budget, which is which is the challenge. So yeah, I guess we're trying to put a this this year our goal is to put on it put a date on when we think we can be ten times carbon positive. Um, at the moment, hopefully five years would would be would be great. Um, but yeah, there's still you know quite a few management changes that need to be made to make make that happen. Um, switching to more regenerative sort of agriculture and um, yeah. So so to become ten times carbon negative, obviously you need a lot of land to be able to plant and also store um, carbon in the soil. Some other parts of the country may already have very um, fertile and well-established soils with lots of organic material in them, or they may not have the, the space to plant the trees or, or kind of um, sequester a lot of that carbon themselves. How do we kind of help New Zealand navigate through this debate about the, the kind of emissions and the challenges that we have on farms against the kind of the opportunity and, and the way to promote that biodiversity story that you guys are talking about and you guys are working on mm. yeah well i i think uh to get to get to the 10 times goal which is obviously at the you know what one end of the sort of environmentalist farming spectrum um you need you need a lot of lot of land especially for operation you know of, of our size but i definitely think it's possible for all well, well, I, I, I would think it's possible for the vast majority of farms in New Zealand to become carbon neutral on on farm um, through through I guess more more regenerative uh, practices. So yeah, um, I guess, I guess it's around sort of policy and you know trying to incentivize incentivize some of that for, for farmers. I guess at the moment there's not really an incentive to try reduce your emissions on farm. Um, or you know, and there are, there is lots of biodiversity projects, but um, yeah, I guess the biodiversity ones probably you know even more challenging on farm. Um, I, you know, potentially projects where I guess you're getting farmers and you know farmers' families to start sort of you know doing bird counts and and you know making a species list on farm. I, th I think that's a really good place to start for most farmers is just making a species list of your farm. It's a pretty fun activity to do. Um, 
and you know we do it with everyone um, who comes on here we've got the got the bird books um alpine plant books and if you you know if you get in um if you find a new species and you get a box of bombucha um which is you know and we've got got the big list in the wool shed so, so i think it's a quite a fun activity a good place to start and you know then, then farmers can say oh hey, hey look we're you know starting to see a few new species that we haven't seen before coming coming now um and then recognizing what you know what they are and then maybe see if, you know a few more coming back with, with management changes so this, yeah, and I think there's a huge opportunity there in, in that freshwater and biodiversity space um, that, that hasn't been tapped into and we can create these amazing corridors. Um, a lot of that requires a huge amount of predator control and trapping work. And you guys, you guys, are, you guys are also planning on building a predator-free fence, I understand, on the lake side, aren't you? We're, we're doing a big, not, not a predator-free fence. We've had a huge amount of, uh, of possum control and ferret, ferret control. Um, uh, yeah, huge projects. It's a big, big area of land, 16,000 acres. So, but, uh, so, so the plan is a 30-metre riparian corridor from Timaru Creek right round 7Ks of the lakefront all the way to Hawea Pub. So from Timaru Creek to the pub, um, which is around a 20-metre big uh, riparian corridor is, is the ultimate plan yeah and have you guys been working with um with doc and others to to yep. do all of that predator control or, and has that been mostly trapping or what have you guys been doing yeah lot trapping a lot, lot of poisoning um lot of ferrotox poisoning is, is is the main main one um and then trapping for for the mustelids uh, but yeah working, working with doc and a few of the community groups and also also forest and bird we're hoping uh to have the forest and bird um otago branch do offset their emissions on, on, our, on our property which would be quite a quite a cool project so um yeah and have you guys already noticed an improvement in the in the bird life since that trappings began yeah we have we've, so we've got a um the, the second round of trapping was actually only finished uh, just before lockdown, um, the sec second big big run. Um, but yeah, no, it ha has been, a, I, I think, small improvement. But yeah, hopefully in spring is when we'll start seeing, seeing the gains. Um, we've got a group from the States that comes every year, 16 undergrad students in early December, and they do a big annual monitoring survey of everything. So that's where we get our sort of data collection on, you know, year on year what's happening. Yeah. And you guys have other volunteers and, and groups can come and, and help out and plant and, and trap on the farm as well, can't they? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, keen to get as much, you know, as much trees in the ground as we can and um, anyone to volunteer for that is, is, is great. And yeah, and volunteers for trapping as, as, as well, yeah. One of the other things that you guys have been uh, looking at on your farm is using seaweed fertiliser, isn't it? Why seaweed? Yeah, pretty pretty early early days on 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 seaweed fertilizer we're, we're pretty pretty hill country but definitely for definitely for some of the flats um there was a really cool country calendar episode actually just on sunday of lindburn station um and some of the fertilizer fertilizer they're, they're using um and they in their sort of re regenerative model but yes i think the opportunity you know a lot of opportunities around seaweed and, and fertilizers de de definitely one of them um a lot, lot more natural less, less emissions um and also seaweed through uh, seaweed for, for stock food is a another real big opportunity. Yeah. And 
I know that you've been working uh, as well on understanding how seaweed draws down carbon and, and, and trying to explore models for blue carbon. So instead of focusing on trees, we can start to think about um, offsetting emissions um, in, in the ocean as well. What, um, what projects have you been working on there? Yeah, so, so, so last year I was part of an um, uh, enterprise competition at, at university um, and, and ended up win, winning that competition with an idea called the, the Seaweed Solution. Um, so it was a, a two-day startup comp, um, and and we we calculated that Christchurch could become carbon neutral through offsetting with a quarter of the um, quarter of the cycleways budget, which was pretty amazing. The whole city could become carbon neutral um, if it had enough offsets. Um, problem is, there's not enough supply of those offsets, um, and and then also nationally, New Zealand could become carbon neutral tomorrow with 900 million worth of offsets. Um, which some people argue is, well, you know, a, a smaller percentage of the cost that it would take to change business as usual New Zealand to a net zero um, New Zealand through offsetting. Obviously, there's a bit of a debate around offsetting um, e ethically in, in that, um, you know, you're sort of just putting a bandage on the wounds. Um, and yeah, but, yeah, I can imagine people would... Um people would just say, oh, okay, we, we can offset and uh, we can just keep going business yeah. as usual and we don't have to worry about um, changing our, our behaviour. And I think that's one of these important things from COVID as well. People going, oh, look, the air pollution is getting better. Carbon emissions have gone down by 25% or, or um, I'm not quite sure if that's the exact number, but um, actually those emissions haven't gone away it's just that we're not driving the cars or we're not uh you know burning the energy that we need what we actually need to do is create we, when things start back up we need to use different energy solutions and, and different um techniques to to kind of uh reduce emissions so what um yeah i guess that that's interesting if new zealand can completely offset that way um what would that be just by immediately purchasing credits all around the world or just in New Zealand or where, where was that modeling kind of from? That, that was just at the current price, uh, the New Zealand carbon price, which is capped at $25. Um, and that cost of tw or $25 a, a, a ton in New Zealand doesn't really cover the cost of native planting. Um, in, in New Zealand, it's, you know, uh, we're sort of, you know, in, in some areas planting upwards $10 a ten dollars a tree um so it's not cost effective at all to plant native trees in new zealand specifically for carbon credits and if you're planting you know radiata forests for, for carbon specifically in new zealand or, or alongside forestry there's a big competing land use with with farmland um and also you're not you know you're not really getting any biodiversity gains from from planting um you know radiata forests um so so yeah i guess we we sort of looked at that and said well, where could the supply of offsets come from for New Zealand? You know, hopefully we want to offset in New Zealand. You, you can offset all around the world um, at, you know, a, a lower cost than you can in New Zealand. Um, but, yeah, you know, you, you, I guess New Zealand would, you know, ho hope that our country is carbon neutral rather than, you know, go, go, going overseas for some of our credits. So how, how can we do that? Well, we've got the fourth largest, um, you know, uh, EEZ in the world, or maritime area in the world. How can we, how can we utilise that? Um, is, is I guess where we started, yeah. And 
And one of the challenges with uh, blue carbon or using uh, seaweeds and other things is we, we don't have a really good understanding yet of how much carbon is directly drawn down. And so some of the work you're doing trying to figure out better accounting around what, um, what different seaweeds uh, can draw down or, or are you looking at other things? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty early days um, in, in this, I guess, in this blue, blue carbon space. Especially, historically, most people have been looking at blue carbon from mangroves and, and seagrasses, which are both, both, both amazing blue carbon sinks. Um, but, you know, if, if, if you're looking at sort of, sort of scale, um, the, um, you know, people are starting to look at macroalgae or, or, or seaweed now um, being the fastest growing thing on the planet. Um, is, is the macrocystis giant kelp, um, which we've got in, in New Zealand. Um, not, not many people know that it's, just, it's we've got the same species as they do in California with those giant kelp forests. They just don't reach the same size in New Zealand um, because of our you know, sedimentation and light levels around the coast. So looking at those species, which you know, can grow up to half a metre a day um, specifically for carbon. But yeah, being the fastest... Um, growing organism on the planet, they also break down really quickly. Um, and I guess the, the top sort of layer of ocean exchanges carbon quite readily with the atmosphere. Um, so if, if we can, you know, lock in as much carbon, but then it's just, if the seaweed's just breaking down again and releasing that carbon, what well, hasn't really done, done much. So it's about getting that, locking in that carbon and then putting it somewhere where it can never get back into the atmosphere, which in the ocean is um, potentially below depths of a thousand metres. So, I guess roughly what, what what we're looking at doing, um, um, and you know, it's, it's def definitely quite a long-term project. Is aquaculture at over a thousand meters, um, either off the side of oil rigs or on 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 free free-floating platforms, or, or with the big anchor growing these um, this you know macrocystis or, or giant seaweed and cutting it off every 40 to 50 days, or, or whenever the growth cycle ends, and then sinking it below a thousand meters and then selling that. As, as a carbon credit um, and probably yeah I, I guess I don't know how f familiar you are with some of the you know geoengineering strategies and, and, and talk but I, one of the important things is sort of finding our place or, or this idea's place in that geoengineering conversation and you know are we are we aquaculture or are we geoengineering um, because I guess geoengineering does get a bit of bit of, bit of criticism. Um, I think, I mean, that's an interesting point because what you're doing by, um, I guess, farming the kelp and then letting it sink is that's a, a natural process, but it is also providing a, a sort of a geoengineering mechanism, but it's different to, say, seeding the ocean with iron, which then draws down uh, or, you know, creates these algal blooms, which then absorb a lot of the carbon. Um, I talked a little bit about about that with uh, Rochelle Constantine the other day and how whales and when whales uh, poo, they're, they're basically fertilizing the ocean and that's more eff effective than seeding the ocean with, uh, with iron is, um, which was kind of an interesting uh, conversation as well. But yeah, I mean, I am, I mean, it's an ecosystem service, right? So it's no different to planting uh, trees on land it's just that we're doing it in the ocean and we're doing it in a slightly different way um, so I mean I would, pro I would probably say it's more like an ecosystem service rather than a geoengineering one yeah I, I mean it's interesting in, I, I think you know there's there's an enormous amount of 
carbon out there that, you know, even, even if we stopped our emissions today, we've still got to sequester huge amounts of carbon. Um, and I mean, some of the criticism of, um, sorry, I think that was the, the boys, boys outside there. Um, but yeah, so, um, Oh, yeah, I guess the criticism of geoengineering comes from, you know, it's, it's not really natural. And maybe if you're doing all this with, with seaweed, um, you know, potentially having adverse effects on some of the benthic communities offshore. Um, yeah, so I, I guess it's an interesting, interesting place, place to be. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's, that's, we have to ultimately make choices and decide what we think the right amount of disturbance or the right amount of risk is for solving some of these solutions um, to get us out of, I guess, the, the biggest experiment that we're running, which is just pumping a whole bunch of CO2 into the atmosphere and into the ocean. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see if, like, I mean, you know, a lot of the re or regenerative agriculture or regenerative aquaculture solutions and, you know, minimizing emissions and some of the sort of smaller scale strategies and planting or I guess sort of natural solutions. Well, what we've, what we've done over the last, you know, 50 years has been so unnatural. Um, and, and, you know, although these natural solutions, you know, we might be able to apply them across New Zealand, um, you know, around the world, I think to have the amount of change that we need, you know, we might, we might have to look to sort of unnatural larger scale solutions to, to you know, to really get something happening quick, quickly um, at scale, yeah. Yeah, I think especially if um, in the next 10 years we really don't get our, our knitting in order, we're going to have to start looking at some of the more aggressive um, techniques if we're really trying to draw down a lot of that carbon and reduce the impact. So um, I look forward to seeing how uh, these different projects track, Finn. It's uh, fascinating talking to you about all of the different um, initiatives that you're working on. Do you have anything else you want to add to those? Uh, well, pro probably the only one I didn't mention is, I guess, two, two of the other quick opportunities on, on the station. One is around so soil carbon, um, which is, I think, yeah, seaweed and soil carbon are the two of the re really big opportunities. Um, what, one of the quick stats on soil carbon is if we globally increase soil carbon by 0.4% every year, we'd get back to, would um, eliminate our anthropogenic emissions. So it would be just 0.4% a year in soil carbon. So it's a huge opportunity there. Um, and then also the, the stock feed one is another re really interesting one. Um, some of the big criticism about this methane emissions reduction has been that it's been reducing growth rates in cattle. Um, but there's been some new studies done in Australia where with 1% dietary supplement of seaweed, they're reducing methane emissions by 90% and increasing growth rates by 10%, which I think is a, if, if, you know, if that's true um, in, in scale, that's a pretty amazing silver bullet for agriculture. So, um, yeah, but no, but otherwise, re yeah, re really enjoyed talk, talking, Jacob, and um, th thanks a lot for, for having me. Cool. Thanks, Finn, and cheers, everyone.